Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're going to be talking about AirPods Max after one year, a massive iPad app roundup, some of our favorites. And Jack Dorsey stepped down from the Twitter CEO position. We're going to talk about all of that in a moment. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Masterclass, Prisoner Wine, Bespoke Post, and VPLS. You'll hear about those in a moment. And joining me to do this massive iPad app roundup. It's my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? I'm pretty good, Stephen. Just trying to think of what uh, Apple Insider would be called if we were a Web3 rename. That's, that's good. That's a deep cut. And we're going to talk about that uh, Square rebranding in a moment. Wanted to hit a few news bits, and then we're going to get to an AirPods Max review and then all the apps that I mentioned. First of all, there's been some reports of the 16-inch M1 Pro and M1 Max having charging issues and having issues in clamshell mode. And I just wanted to say that I have my 14-inch MacBook Pro that I use every day. I use it very often in clamshell mode, and I've not had any of those issues. I don't know if this might be unique to the 16-inch. So listeners, if you have a 16-inch new MacBook Pro out there, I'd be curious to hear your experience with that. But also, when it comes to charging, there's been some reports that maybe MagSafe charging is one of the issues. And I've actually not used MagSafe charging since the first day I got it. I used it when I was doing the migration assistant from my old MacBook to my new one. And then after that, because my whole life has been USB-C and Thunderbolt, I have not used MagSafe charging uh, ever since that first day. Now, you actually have one of the new MacBook Pros also. What's been your experience with MagSafe? I saw that it wasn't a space gray cable and put it in a drawer. And that's <laughs> as far as I got. Oh, I see. Um, No, I use my MacBook at my desk. Basically, when I got this thing, I, I just put it in the spot the iPad was in and plugged in the same Thunderbolt cable. Nothing changed. And it charges off the cable. There's really yeah. no reason to use MagSafe at my desk. Yeah. And, and my battery never moves off of 80%. Apparently, it decided that it's just going to stay there. And uh, that's fine. I mean, every now and then I'll take it to the living room or something to play around with. But most of the time, it, it's a work computer. It stays where I work. So yeah. And to that charging 80% thing, we actually had many listeners reach out this week over Twitter with some app recommendations. But also Dave from Indianapolis mentioned a, a few other Mac apps that I'll put in the show notes. He mentioned AdGuard, Peak Hour, iPulse. And one of them was Aldente Pro, which is a Mac app that helps you manage charging level. So if you want it to stay at 80% charge, even when plugged in, this app manually forces that on a Mac. But if you're running Big Sur or macOS Monterey and you have a recent MacBook Pro, I have found that when it's kept docked in clamshell mode or not, but if you just keep it docked for extended periods of time, it kind of manages that charge by itself. And oftentimes I will see in the battery icon when I click it that it's at 80% and it's basically saying holding uh, because it's been plugged in for a while. And I think there's an option where you can kind of say, no, I want you to fully charge, but you can kind of set those preferences now built into macOS, which is pretty cool. Yeah, this was an iOS feature first where it mm -hmm. did the trickle charge after 80% and it would estimate when you would be removing the phone from the charger based on past history and stuff like that. I think macOS just gained that. And yeah, you can go turn it off if you really want to, but I, again, it's not that critical. I, I don't know why people spend so much time thinking about batteries. I think it's leftovers from the 2006 era of just everything exploding. Yeah. Th these days you don't, you don't need to think about it. I, I tell people all the time, like on Reddit, like one of the popular questions all the time is, you know, how do you manage charging your iPhone to keep your battery sustained as long as possible? And it's, you don't, uh, there's a computer in there. It does it for you. You're not smarter than that computer. I promise. Just 
charge your stuff and don't think about it eventually you might need a battery and that'll cost you like i don't know 80 bucks don't worry about it you'll be fine yeah and i think first of all i'll put as the chapter art as you listen the battery settings in mac os there's actually a checkbox now at least in mac os big sur and monterey where it says optimize battery charging and it says to reduce battery aging your mac learns from your daily charging routine so it can wait to finish charging past 80 percent until you need to use it on batteries. So now macOS is smart enough on that. I think some of the battery stuff, I think about battery and I, I think sometimes, you know, if you used super fast charging all the time, I think there's some data that has shown that that will wear on the battery a little faster, but absolutely. again, not like a massive difference. I do remember back in the day, I was at an Apple store and someone was at the Genius Bar saying that their battery, you know, doesn't last anymore. If they unplug their old MacBook Pro, it just turns off. And the Apple genius was like, do you leave it plugged in most of the time? <laughs> and the, the lady was like, it's plugged in 24-7. It sits at my desk. I never unplug it. And they were like, yeah, that's going to be an issue. Like That's why it, it died in a year instead of lasting for several years. But that was an older MacBook Pro. There was not this optimized battery charging in the recent macOS version. So I think it's a holdover from some of those experiences and people just wanting their battery to last as long as possible. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm crazy. I don't know. I have a MagSafe charger on the table by my couch. I charge my phone wirelessly on a a wireless charger by my bedside. So it's, I never plug into lightning port, which is obviously the most efficient and safe way to charge a battery. And I'm, I'm fine. Oh, look, I'm at 100%. It'll probably tick down to 99 soon. Uh, I generally speaking, I I've noticed, uh, new iPhones tick down that first percent around January. And then you see all the people screaming on Reddit about how batteries are, you know, going to explode and they have to change it out too early and planned obsolescence and all of that. And it's like, Calm down, guys. 99% is fine. Um. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still at 100% battery health, too. So I try not to look at it, and I just believe it stays at 100% for the year I have the phone. <laughs> That's my general. When, when you upgrade every year, I guess we're, we're, we benefit from the fact that we don't really have to think about batteries. So that is a privileged right. position. But at the same time, don't think about your battery. Uh, even if you upgrade every five years, if you have to get a battery replacement, it's not the end of the world. Go to a Best Buy, pay them 80 bucks, get a new battery. You're, you're good. Well, I wanted to mention Apple Replay and Spotify Wrapped. If you saw people on Twitter and social media sharing their Spotify Wrapped, like what their most played albums and songs were in the past year. And then artists also get data from Spotify about how many plays, listens, and where their listeners are in the world. Spotify does a nice job creating graphically pleasing stuff uh, to share on social media and for people to share the links or whatever. So I was like, well, I want to do an Apple replay because they have this feature where it'll show you your top played Apple music songs. Spotify also has this option for podcasts. And I actually tweeted some about the Spotify stats for the Apple Insider podcast, which is actually pretty interesting. That audience has been growing on Spotify more than I expected. Apple does not provide the podcast wrapped or podcast replay, but they do provide Apple music replay. And it'll show you, it'll give you a playlist of your most played songs in the last year. And then you could share that on social media or whatever. So I went to check it out and I did find that it was not indicative of what I actually listened to because it had much of what my kids ask HomePods to play as the top songs. And I, I listen to music, but not super often, but my kids ask the HomePods to play music all the time. And those tracks were all in the top spots of my list because as kids do, they want to listen to the same songs all the time. And so I found my Apple Replay list 
to be not useful because it basically just showed what my kids asked HomePods to play and not what I listened to in the past year. So Steven, you're the, you're the home kit guy. You should know about all this stuff. No, I had to, I had to figure this out uh, last year when I found out my 2020 replay was a bunch of garbage. (laughs) My niece and nephew would come over and play music, but when they do, they would just play it for, you know, from the time they got there to the time they woke up the next day. And so the HomePod would just be continuously playing, you know, little peep and stuff that I just, please dear god never let me listen to that and yeah so my my 2020 replay playlist is sadly just very broken and terrible uh, so i deleted it but um yeah the i i looked into it and uh it turns out you have a few options when setting up home pods on how to how to manage this first of all you can just tell the home pod not to track your listening history so public home pods like a living room one or one in a bathroom you can just go ahead and hit that toggle and never even worry about it. But um, the more in-between one, and this one's kind of placing your trust in Apple a little bit, default uh, count, um, and you can set which of your accounts will be the default one. Um, so I, me and uh, my girlfriend, we have, we're both on the same home kit here, so we can see, we see each other's accounts uh, listed. I can pick my home pod for my bedroom or something like that. And hers downstairs based on where she's listening, or there's a third one called defaults account, which it selects your basic Apple ID, but I believe it treats it as separate and it's tracking it as that home pods account. Um, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that it actually does not add it to your up next because what it's doing is it will always be listening for Siri will be listening for your voice um, on any of these home pods and playing from your account and your preferences based on your voice. If it does not understand who is talking, it will go to a default account. And uh, when it does this, it will just do playback from like whatever range. So you can just tell the home pod, like select me as the default or select this non account account. So that way, you know, if your kids talk to it and it doesn't mistaken it for you, it will not log it to your preferences, hopefully. So far, it seems to have worked. I just turned off the preference altogether for my living room one. So that way I don't have to deal with it, but something to try out. As you were talking, I went through all of the HomePods in my house and I have turned off update listening history toggle on all of them. (laughs) So that's the safest one. Yeah, that's the safe. That's the nuclear option. And basically, you know, when you long press your HomePod in the Home app, you scroll down, you hit the settings gear icon, and then you scroll down in the music and podcast section, and you will see update listening history, and you can toggle it off. In that same section also is the primary user for the HomePod, where you can change what Wes was talking about. But I just turned off update listening history on everything. And maybe my 20... 22 uh, Apple replay will be useful. Well, what's cool about replay is it's different from Spotify wrapped wrapped apparently only covers January to October because it's doing all of this data. Uh, I guess they cut it off at a certain amount and then start generating that on the back end. So that way by December 1st, you can get your wrapped, but yes, it only covers 10 months out of the year. Whereas um, Apple's replay. Yeah. You don't get all those cool, fancy um, slideshow things and weird memeable comments from some algorithm. You do get, your playlist um your top 100 listened and starting about the third week of january i can't remember when it ticked in last year it was a little late in 2021 but it does show up sometime in january february uh you can go to replay and get your playlist starting 
you know, at the beginning of the year and it updates every single week with your top 100 all the way throughout to the end of the year. And uh, you can see those stats anytime by visiting the web page, but the playlist itself stays updated in your Apple Music and your app. So gotcha. something to keep in mind. It's it's a pretty neat little feature. I'll be keeping an eye out for the 2022 one starting in January. Very cool. Well, I did want to mention Jack Dorsey. He was the CEO of Twitter. He's actually stepped down as CEO. And I'm going to do my best to pronounce it. Forgive me if it's mispronounced, but Paraj Agrawal, he's taking over as the new company CEO for Twitter. Interestingly, when Jack Dorsey announced this via a screenshot of the staff email, he sent to the Twitter staff and then tweeted that screenshot of the email. That's how Jack announced it on Twitter. That the stock for Twitter actually went up 11% on the announcement of his departure. And it's been kind of tenuous whether or not Jack Dorsey was helping Twitter recently. You know, they've tried to do lots of policy changes, trying to put rules and safeguards in place for hate speech and things like that on Twitter. And his policies and I think just him as a personality kind of makes Twitter, the company, kind of put it in a tumultuous light. And so investors are not really sure. So stock went up when he announced it. And he said that Paraj has been already involved in the company. He was the chief technical officer for Twitter since 2011. So he is at least 10 years already at the company. And Jack Dorsey had great things to say about him. I will mention Jack Dorsey is still remaining the CEO of Square, which is the payment processing app. They also do Square Cash, the app like Venmo to send money to other people. But they are rebranding Square and they are rebranding it to a Web3 kind of thing called Block. So from Square, it is now Block. And talking about how the you know it wants to have a future in the blockchain and cryptocurrency, but also continue its Square products and Square Cash. So they rebranded their website for the rebrand is very interesting. It's pretty cool animations for a website, but definitely very modern Web three forward thinking kind of thing. You know, rebranding it, it's fine. I always thought I'm a big Squarespace user. I build a lot of websites in Squarespace, and so I did think there was some name pollution around the idea of Square. So maybe it's better that they're rebranding now. I mean, Square has been around forever, but just again, just Squarespace, then you have Square. It used to be called Square Up when it was just kind of the headphone jack card swipe reader kind of thing. But I thought that was interesting. So, Well, this is kind of an alphabet thing because it's Block is, yeah. includes title. There's an unnamed blockchain company run by Jack that has a Twitter account. It's some random garbled numbers and letters. But like it, it's it's supposed to encompass all of these things under one thing, and I believe the square name isn't going away. It's just going to be block square by block or something like that, which is really even more annoying. I don't know. We'll see. I I'm not excited because uh, all this blockchain stuff is ridiculous. All these companies, like if you've seen me on Twitter lately, it it just seems like we're we we've invented the wheel and we're using it as a dinner table. Uh, nobody knows what to use this stuff for. And so we're using it as currency. And I, I don't, I don't believe that's the right use for, you know, blockchain and stuff. Like it could be a great tool for the internet and information and stuff like that. But we're out here selling JPEGs and it's, it's so annoying, but yeah, we'll, we'll see <laughs> NFTs. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, this web three movement. I think it's all just, it's it's uh what is it y2k or it's like a name brand for the internet kind of thing just a flash in the pan everyone who's excited about it's the only the ones making money off of it and everyone else is just kind of like why do i care uh situation uh squares doing this because jack dorsey is definitely the type of person who wants to get on a bandwagon and uh meta kind of just 
stepping up the game there. So I think Jack's trying to trying to compete with Mark Zuckerberg a little bit. Mm. I wonder what this means for Twitter. I, I'm glad that this happened outside of Twitter. Like I'm glad that they're not trying to go tweet cubed or something. We'll see what this new management looks like and what what they're going to do with the company. Not making some great decisions in these first days uh, with media management and stuff. We'll, but we'll see. Yeah. I really just want Twitter to remain the good anti Facebook social media that still works because uh, yeah. if they start breaking it i don't know where we're gonna go so <laughs> yeah i agree and I'm, I'm hoping twitter is around for a while you know the whole web3 thing listeners if you're curious to know more about it i've been debating on doing kind of a, a bonus supporter only episode talking about the metaverse but also some of this web3 stuff you know if you follow like Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V on social media. He's super bullish on the whole NFT thing. He's like, plane tickets will be NFTs one day. And I'm like, hey, Gary, yeah, uh, Vaynerchuk, the guy, Planet of the Apps. Ooh, yeah, definitely good choice there too, Gary. Um, yeah, well, uh, we'll see. If <laughs> Listeners, if you're interested in some of that stuff, you know, it's it's not really Apple related, although it's very adjacent. You know, maybe we'll do some bonus episodes on that because I've, I've been curious to talk about it. So anyway, tweet at me if that's something that you, you want to hear about. Internet technology adjacent. Yeah, yeah. It's all internet technologies. This episode is brought to you by Bespoke Post. This fall, as you get back into the swing of things, Bespoke Post is here with a new seasonal lineup of must-have Box of Awesome collections. And Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every month. I've gotten several Box of Awesomes myself, and I love what they come with. It's kind of rustic items that had a canvas day travel bag that came in one of my boxes, which I love, special drink glasses. And, you know, I like to feel like I'm a little fancy, a little rustic, and these things just come in the mail. And I know they're from small businesses, so we're supporting those small businesses with every box. From autumn craft beers to cozy threads, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. I love their collections too with some of their camping and outdoorsy gear with really interesting knives and bags and travel stuff. Love it all. To get started, you can take the quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month anytime. One guy actually skipped two years worth of months but kept his account active, which you can do if you'd like and you don't pay anything if you skip a month. Each box costs only $45, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Plus, with each box of awesome, you're supporting small businesses. 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from a small up-and-coming brand, and I love supporting brands like that. So get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the promo code AppleInsider, all one word, at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code AppleInsider for 20% off your first box. And that link will be in the show notes as well. Our thanks to Box of Awesome for sponsoring this episode and our friends at the Prisoner Wine Company. I love the Prisoner Wine Company because they do things differently from the artwork on the label of the bottle to the taste of their wine. I love the entire experience of drinking the Prisoner Wine Company wines. Wine is like fine art. It can be good, bad, but every once in a while, something is truly different, something unique. And that's the Prisoner Wine Company. 20 years ago, when they decided to combine some of California's best and most unusual grape varieties to make a bold and complex blend, they set on a mission to do things differently. Like their namesake wine, the Prisoner Red Blend. From the shape and weight of the bottle to the beautiful labels, I love the brands on these bottles because, you know, you're going to keep your wine somewhere where people can see. And these labels have Francisco Goya's artwork right on the bottles. Love it. 
And they have rule-bending blends like the Prisoner Red Blend, Prisoner Chardonnay, and Thorn Merlot. Now listen, I'm not a sommelier. I'm not like a wine professional, but I've had some wines over the years and I truly enjoy the Prisoner Wine Company. Not just the branding and how it looks, but how it tastes. I find it unique and truly one of the best I've had. Prisoner is one of Napa Valley's most recognized red blends and the Prisoner Wine Company has been featured in Wine Spectator, Forbes, and Food and Wine. You got to experience these wines so go to theprisonerwine.com slash appleinsider for 20% off plus shipping included on your first purchase. You can still get it in time for the holidays. This is the best deal they have available. Get 20% off plus shipping included at theprisonerwine.com slash appleinsider. That's theprisonerwine.com slash appleinsider. That link will be in the show notes as well. You can just click it there. Offer valid on first-time online orders only for U.S. residents of legal drinking age through December 31st, 2021. Other exclusions may apply. Please enjoy wines responsibly. All right, well, I did want to talk about AirPods Max for a moment. Wes, you and I got AirPods Max right when they came out last December, and so it's been about a year. I did the Classical Musicians review them early on. That video's on YouTube. I'll put that link in show notes if you want to check that out. That was a pretty popular take. A lot of people liked it, but I've been seeing people tweet about it recently about AirPods Max, and I saw like Knoopsy, the YouTube video creator, he was asking, hey, is it still worth it? Should I get AirPods Max? Then I saw other Twitter users like Renee. Then I saw other creators like Renee Ritchie and Quinn from Snazzy Labs kind of not being super positive on it. They said they've had some bugs and all that. So I just thought it would be interesting, Wes, for you and I to give our thoughts on AirPods Max after a year. It's important to understand Quinn Nelson's social media game. If you if you follow this guy, he's great. Uh, no, yeah, no no bones against him. But uh, just, just note that he is very well-versed in the... I love yelling negative things about products to get people's eyes and then posting videos about how much he loves them on YouTube. Just that's, that's like his whole thing. And I agree though, not everything's always going to be rainbows. You know, I haven't experienced the issues that like uh, these guys are saying that they've, they've had, but I believe that they're having them. So it's just one of those things, but it's always worth noting. So I will say, yeah, I had not experienced the bugs that they're talking about. And let me just say, first of all, you know, I use the AirPods max weekly. You know, I've, gone back to editing this podcast with AirPods Max. I do use them for focused work time. And I've talked about before kind of how I have a different use case for every model of AirPod. You know, I have some where I use the new AirPods 3 around the house and going for a walk. I use AirPods Pro with their noise canceling for like grocery shopping or public environments where I want some noise canceling. And if I want deep focus work time or really just want to enjoy the music I'm listening to, I'll use my AirPods Max. Or if I'm watching like a movie on my iPad and I want the really good spatial audio, AirPods Pro and AirPods do that as well, but it's just a better experience in AirPods Max. So I don't use them daily, but I do use them multiple times a week and have been for the past year. And I will say I still really enjoy them. I enjoy using them. I still think they sound really, really good for music or movie watching. I've learned that if I turn off noise canceling and transparency, where I just use them in there, don't do anything funny to the outside environment setting, which you can do in the control center when you're using AirPods Max, I found editing the podcast to be more accurate using that setting. And so I use them often. The only funny behavior I have found is sometimes they don't connect immediately when I take them out of the case And I'll have to like put them back in for a second to kind of put them back to sleep and then take them back out to wake them up to reconnect. Sometimes it's because I don't use the case it came with. I use the, a 
I think it's water field design, like that canvas case where it has these like right. kind of built-in magnets to do it. So that might be part of the reason. Some of the other funniness has really just been with Apple's own auto switching feature. And I've turned it off on specific AirPods on specific devices because a lot of times I'll be editing a podcast with AirPods Max on my iPad mini. And then I pick up my phone because I got a text message or whatever, and they would just switch so fast to my iPhone and it would cut off the podcast I was editing in Ferret on my iPad. And so I turned off auto switching for some of those use cases. But if you can figure out what auto switching to turn off on what devices, the auto switching is not as, as big of an issue anymore. But overall, I still really enjoy them. I still think they sound great. To this question of are they worth it a year later, you know, I think headphones like these, you're not going to have to worry about them getting some kind of updated version with some tremendous feature that makes these obsolete. You know, if you look at normal headphones that you would use either in a studio situation or wired headphones, like the ones I'm using when I record the podcast, these very dynamic ones, usually keep over the ear headphones for a long time because they are the quality that they are. And that's kind of just what you need when you're listening to music or podcasts or whatever. This isn't something you're going to upgrade every year. Right. You're not going to upgrade it every year or even every couple of years. If Apple makes a second generation one, and if the battery runs down, Apple has already said that there is a battery replacement program for AirPods Max. And so you could do that and it would last a long time. Again, Knoopsy's question on Twitter was, is it worth it now to pay you know, the full price of $550? And my recommendation is I've seen many sales over the past year on AirPods Max. Some Best Buy and Amazon sales get really close to that $400 mark. I think they've been yeah. like 420 or something. If you're if you're listening this weekend, like the weekend this comes out, there's a set for 429 on Amazon right now that you can get. Yeah, and for that price, again, if you have the money and it's not a stretch, you know, I wouldn't like save up for months and then get this as opposed to some other piece of equipment, just depending on your situation. But for $420, if you're in the market for good over-the-ear noise-canceling headphones, you know, I did not have a pair of ANC active noise-canceling headphones over-the-ear before these. I did not have any of the Sony XM4s. I didn't have, you know, some of the other fancy ones you can get. Like, I didn't have any. And so this was going to be my single pair of high-end over-the-ear ANC headphones. And so again, just depending on your situation, if you already have some Sony XM4s or another pair of over-the-ear headphones that you really love, that are wireless and they have good features. Maybe it's not worth it for you specifically to upgrade. But if you're looking to get a pair of over-the-ear active noise-canceling headphones that are really high quality, I still love the build quality of the AirPods Max and the overall design. I think they're still a good buy, especially when you can get it on those kinds of sales. What do you think, Wes? Well, I believe these are going to be upgraded at about the same rate the AirPods Pro are. Maybe two mm. years at the most. Me personally, I'll buy a new set if it comes out just because I, I believe whatever upgrades they provide will will fix whatever weirdness. I haven't really found any weird spots. I just know that there are, it's not like a perfect device that there are things to improve. I'm just not the one to improve them. I couldn't tell you. I'm sure the next set will probably fold up into a smaller, more compact travel design. Mm. They'll probably change a little bit about how these things sleep and wake, um, stuff like that. I've definitely noticed that because I keep mine on a headphone stand without the case on them. I, there's a little lightning cable there where I can just plug it in. If it's not plugged in, that thing, they, they'll just drain. Um, they'll connect right. to whatever's nearby and dump out the battery over a couple days and I can go to use them and they're at 10%. So whatever standby features Apple 
uh, implemented with this. They're not good enough. That kind of stuff is just obvious. Like they made the case because the standby modes aren't good enough. I think Apple knew that that the intelligence just wasn't going to be there for them. Beyond that, like they're great headphones. They sound amazing. I every time I use them, I love them. I'm still awed by just the sound quality, the instruments that I'm hearing sometimes for the first time in songs that I've listened to for years. Yeah, that still hits me. And the spatial audio features. Um, if you're not a purist and you're not going to hate on the fact that it sounds different, like because yeah, some of the songs aren't mixed well, but find some good mix albums, good mix songs, and they they really hit hard and they're really well done. Um, I'm excited because the spatial audio uh, music feature is still new. We haven't really seen, there, I'm sure there is a couple, you, know, you could probably point me at a couple, but the, we haven't really seen like full studio albums developed beginning to end with spatial audio in mind. Once we start seeing stuff like that I, uh, from like good professionals who know what they're doing and know how to use this equipment, know how to optimize for 3d audio i think it's going to start really blowing people's minds and airpods max are the first apple uh step into that world so there's going to be some bugs there's going to be some weirdness but for me i've not really ran into issues i personally like the noise canceling modes i like transparency mode if i'm walking around or if i'm sitting still i usually have active noise canceling on it's still kind of insane to me that like if i want to sit in my bedroom with the heater on and that heater is loud it's a it's a fan <laughs> Uh, yeah. I put the headphones on and it might as well not exist. And I can watch right. like 5.1 channel audio tracks on the TV. And it's not like I'm not, it's like I'm not even wearing headphones. It's really cool. Yeah. As far as the price, Apple sometimes does step into that territory. They have a $5,000 monitor. These headphones, I think, kind of fall into the same category of that monitor. It's expensive for the sake of expensiveness. There are probably better options for, you know, a couple hundred dollars less. But if you have the $400, $500 available and you're looking for some headphones and you just like what Apple does, yeah, for sure. These are an absolute buy. Yeah. And what, what you're willing to pay for something is a big factor too. Like your example for a t-shirt, I remember I went to the mall at Millennia here at Orlando, and I think there was like a Hugo Boss clothing store. And I am not a fashion forward person. <laughs> like I don't, I just don't. Uh, just walk into a Banana Republic and spend $40 <laughs> on a crew neck? Not even, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, like Kohl's. Kohl's is my fashion source. And I remember seeing a t-shirt at that store that was $120. For me, I, I'm just not going to pay $120 for a t-shirt just because that's not my focus. That's not what I care about, but some people are, and that's what they want. And they know the difference that that $120 t-shirt is compared to something else. And so again, if you are in the world of audio, whatever part of that world is, maybe it's music, maybe it's podcasts, maybe you travel a ton on airplanes and noise canceling is super important. The in-ear style of AirPods Pro don't work for you then the AirPods Max is the decision if you want to stay in the Apple ecosystem. So look at all those factors together, whether it's worth it or not. I would not be dissuaded by the kind of bug reports you see some people say on Twitter. Again, Wes and I have used them for the past year pretty often and have not experienced those. Again, everyone's mileage may vary, but I still enjoy them. That's my thoughts. The question of is it worth it isn't really they're worth it they're good headphones the i think the question should be do you have expendable income and do you like apple products if you can answer both of those as yes go for it i mean if that's you know if you're even looking at these then obviously you're in the market for the headphones in the first place so if you can answer those two questions positively then they're worth it go get go get them right. i don't see apple updating these at least until the end of next year airpods pro probably getting updated in the spring there's some possibility that there's going to be like an h2 headset 
that chipset or something. If that if that happens, expect the AirPods Max to get updated probably sooner. But it's very iffy at this point. But personally, I'm I'm excited for whatever they throw this way because I'm very much all in on uh whatever augmented reality nonsense uh apple's throwing our <laughs> way at this point for for sure 3d audio and th- i think these headphones are going to be a part of it yeah well before we get into our big ipad app roundup i did want to do two parts of follow-up i already mentioned before but dave from indianapolis sent me an email with some additional mac os apps and utility recommendations those are in the show notes if you'd like to check those out and also at sirdir s-i-r-d-i-r on twitter tweeted a tip at me about the two-factor integration of iCloud Keychain. I talked about on the last episode with William that I could not get my 1Password and iCloud Keychain two-factor codes to match using that specialized token, that six-digit number that refreshes every 30 seconds. I couldn't get them to match, so I wasn't able to use iCloud Keychain for my two-factor stuff. And he tweeted and said, when you put it in iCloud Keychain, If you're not scanning the QR code directly from whatever service, you need to just copy the unique token, not the full URL, because some, if you like go into 1Password and you look at your two-factor codes, some of it is a long URL that whatever app or website like Amazon or Google, you know, they'll give you this long link for that two-factor authentication code. And 1Password, I guess, can parse that differently. But if you don't copy the whole URL, you just get that kind of unique token or string, however the URL is kind of singling that out. If you just take that portion of the URL and put that into iCloud Keychain, then I was able to get my two-factor codes to match and I've been able to use iCloud Keychain two-factor codes. And if I pull up one password and system preferences on the Mac or on my iPhone in settings, passwords, the two-factor codes, the six-digit ones match. I think it's a little strange that Apple will serve up a six-digit code that is false because I put the full URL instead of a single token. I guess it's it doesn't know the difference or I guess it's pulling from somewhere. So I think it's strange that it just gives you something that's wrong rather than just giving you an error or whatever. But because of that tip, I was able to change my two-factor settings in iCloud Keychain and now those six-digit codes work. So thank you, at Serder, uh, for that tip. Yeah, the codes aren't being sent to you from some server somewhere. It's being generated based on some crazy algorithm. So right. on your device. So if you're using a different, you know, key for your algorithm that they're using for theirs, then yeah, you're going to get two different codes for the same algorithm. And yeah, you're messing yourself up. I've been um, using iCloud Keychain. I went all in. I just got rid of one password except for work stuff and uh, been liking it so far. Um, it's all very instant uh, and generally speaking as long as the web page and stuff is coded correctly it automatically just pops up and says hey you have this two-factor key you know use face id to authenticate and you're done or touch id on the mac or whatever it's worked out pretty well so far I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it i actually went the other day just quick tangent and set up mom on a new iphone 13 and Ooh. while i was in there i said you know what you have a yahoo address from like 11 years ago yahoo is no, uh, we're not going to do that. So, <laughs> doing that. so I went ahead and created her an iCloud email and then went through her, like, I have, I don't know, some stupid hundreds of passwords in my keychain. I looked at her, she ha- she might've had 20. Um, so I just right. went ahead and changed her keychain passwords t- to new passwords and showed her how to use keychain and stuff. Yeah. I actually went ahead and changed her emails to not her new email address, but hide my emails from Apple, uh, just right. to tinker around with. 
And uh, she hasn't noticed the difference. It just signs her in because it's all in the keychain. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing. I might eventually at least do my primary accounts and hide my email, but man, <laughs> I've got a, a few too many to just do all of them wholesale. But yep. have you used uh, hide my email much yet? I have for a few things and I'm kind of doing it whenever I have to set up a new account or put my email somewhere for the first time, I'll default to that, like sign in with Apple and use like the obscured email address. So I'm not going to go back and like change everything, but I'm kind of using it going forward and it's been working fine. I've also been using the custom email domain features for iCloud email. And because of that, now I've been using the hide my email more. Nice. Yeah. I don't have a custom domain. I'm not that fancy. So (laughs) that's yeah. All right. Well, we have a huge round of iPad apps we need to get to. Wes and I both have a ton of apps. And then listeners, many of you tweeted in some recommendations. So we're going to try to get to all of them. We won't be going super in-depth on these apps because we just have a ton to get through. But I will recommend I'm putting links to all of these apps in the podcast episode notes or show description. But if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, there is a maximum character limit for episode descriptions in Apple Podcasts. So you will not see the full list if you're listening in Apple Podcasts. So if you'd like to see the entire list uncut off, unobstructed, you can go to another podcast app like Overcast, Pocket Casts, even Spotify displays the full show notes. There is no character limit. Or you can go to appleinsider.com and look at the podcast post there and you can see all of the app links right there. But if you're in Apple Podcasts, you won't see all the links. So I just wanted to give you that warning. If you're looking for an app to download it, but don't see it in Apple Podcasts, that's why. And there's not, not anything I can do about it. So. Before we dive in, I just want to point out that I listened to you and William talk about this stuff last week, and you barely mentioned the existence of Apple apps. I just want to point out that most of what I use that aren't uh, what we go over here, like I default to Apple on most things, uh, Safari, photos, notes, that, that's that's my go-to stuff, uh, if anyone was wondering. Mm. I know you use like Bear and stuff like that. I just thought it was funny that, you know, you guys listed a bunch of extensions and stuff, but didn't discuss if you really bothered with any Apple apps. That is a good point. I will say, and I was going to mention a couple of them in this roundup, I do use Apple's work suite exclusively. I don't really use Google Docs. I don't use Microsoft products. I use Pages, Numbers, and Keynote for pretty much everything. So uh, yeah, Definitely that. And I am a Safari first user. I do use Chrome on occasion for web development things just because there's some tools and extensions there that are not on Safari yet. But as Safari extensions have been increasing in number, hopefully pretty soon I can just use Safari exclusively. I would love that. But yeah, I totally am with you there. I use Apple's apps for many of the first party solutions for sure. I'm going to split my list in half and I'll go through my first half of the list and then I'll throw to you. And we'll just go back and forth and then we'll get our listener recommendations in as well. So for iPad, these are some of the apps that I use regularly or at least are some of the most useful, even if I don't use them all the time, and that I have them on my iPad now and I just think are some of the best. First one, you've heard me talk about it before, but I have to mention it again. Ferrite Studio for iPad. It's the app I use to edit all my podcasts. I edit the Apple Insider Show. HomeKit Insider, my Movies on the Side podcast. I edit everything in Ferrite with the Apple Pencil. I still believe it is an incredible product, the fastest, and for me personally, the best way to edit podcasts and some other audio things I've done in there. Ferrite is just an incredible app by Juice. 
I did an interview actually with uh, Canis, the developer of Ferrite. He's a one-man team. He does not have like employees or anything. It's just this one guy building this app and it's an incredible, incredible work he's doing over there. So Ferrite for iPad, absolutely love it. Two apps for marking up things like PDFs or for taking notes like handwritten notes or if you want some like page templates like line sheets to be able to use on your iPad. Two apps that I highly recommend. I have both of them on my iPad. Good Notes, which was also a listener recommendation, and Notability. These two applications I use all the time for importing like PDFs and marking them up. Maybe it's importing graphics. If you work with like graphic designers and you want to be able to mark up an image to show the graphic designer exactly what you're wanting, that's a great use case. Whenever I have to fill out a form that's a PDF that I download from somewhere or I got via email and it's lengthy, you know, I use the built-in markup feature like in my email if I just need to sign something quickly digitally. But if I need to work on a larger document or a big PDF, GoodNotes, Notability are great options there. This next pick is specifically for musicians, singers, things like that. If you do anything with sheet music, I have used this app from the very beginning, from my very first iPad. I am a musician. I did a lot of choral work when I was early days of iPad. And Fourscore, F-O-R-S-C-O-R-E, Fourscore is an incredible application. They regularly update it with more and more features. If you have digital sheet music or you want to start using sheet music on an iPad, my wife uses this. She plays flute in an orchestra here in Central Florida. She loves using Fourscore. I've used it for chord charts and trumpet music and choral music. Fourscore is incredible. You can mark up PDFs. You can sync it with other iPads. So if you have like an entire group all looking at the same piece of sheet music and you want to be able to sync it so when you advance the page, it syncs to all the other devices, Fourscore does that. It works with Bluetooth pedals. If you want to be able to change the page on iPad with your foot without tapping the screen, you can get Bluetooth wireless pedals that switch the page. It's an incredible application for music. Fourscore, highly recommend. This is an Apple app, like Wes was saying, Shortcuts. Shortcuts makes devices like the iPad so much more productive. I do a lot of things with shortcuts, even something as simple as converting a PDF to image files or vice versa. If I have some images and I want to make them into a PDF, just little shortcuts like that. I encourage you to listen to the Matthew Castanelli episode I had with him. We talked about shortcuts there. We have two episodes actually, just talking about all the different shortcuts we use. I highly recommend shortcuts. Try to get into it. Lightroom, of all the Adobe apps, I don't use any on my Mac and I really try not to use any of them because I just don't prefer them. But for photo editing on iPad, I do use Lightroom because it's integration with Apple Pencil, integration with Adobe Cloud, syncing it to Lightroom on my iPhone. I do really love Lightroom for photo editing. I use other apps as well like Pixelmator, but Lightroom is still just incredible. I've just mentioned Pixelmator, so I'll mention that again. I love Pixelmator. We talked about it in the Mac app roundup with William and myself. But if you do graphic design or you wanna edit some photos, Pixelmator has just an incredible product. Awesome app, highly recommend that. Also in the line of graphics, if you do social media or you just wanna make quick graphics for website work or whatever, uh, you might've heard of this tool before, especially if you're a social media manager, Canva, C-A-N-V-A. It's really a service and application specifically for making 
graphics and media for social media. But Canva's app on iPad is very good. I highly recommend. And again, just great stuff there. And the last one before I throw it to Wes, and then I got some more after it. If you're looking for a VNC application, meaning a service where you can remote into other computers, either on the local network or to use a service where you can log into remote computers anywhere in the world, I've been using Jump, J-U-M-P. I have this installed on about 30 different Macs in my workplace, and I can VNC into those computers from my iPad using Jump whenever I need to. It's been super solid. I've been able to log in. I don't think I've ever had connectivity issues. And you can also use it if you don't want to install the Jump utility on a Mac. You can actually just use the IP address for a local machine on the local network. And if you're in the same house or on the same network, you can access and screen share with a Mac from the Jump app without you know installing anything on the Mac. So VNC application, I've been using Jump. There's also Screens by Adovia, but I've not been able to get that to work on as many computers with different like network things and port stuff. And I just didn't want to deal with it. And I found Jump to be more flexible in that arena. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay, acting from Samuel L. Jackson, and scientific thinking from Neil deGrasse Tyson. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Listeners, you've heard me talk about Masterclass before, and I still love it. Some of my favorite courses are The Art of Negotiation with Chris Voss, and since watching the movie Dune, I've gone back and watched Hans Zimmer's course, on music composition for film. I really love Hans Zimmer as a movie score composer and his class talking about melodies and themes for characters. I loved every minute of it. And you can watch a lesson in just 10 or 15 minutes so you can do one on a lunch break or binge an entire class. If you do something like a cooking show, they have high quality downloadable documents that are basically rivaling a cookbook that you can get when you do one of those classes. And you can watch Masterclass anywhere from their app to iPhone, iPad, and even Apple TV or right on the web. So this holiday season, you can give one annual membership and get one for free. This is a BOGO Masterclass offer. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider today, and you can redeem that BOGO Masterclass offer. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. Terms apply. That link will be in the show notes as well. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode and VPLS. VPLS is a managed service provider and security provider with a 20-year history of industry-leading customer service. Listen, if you own a small business, or maybe you're on the team that decides the information technology needs for a company, you might need help. Maybe you need someone to manage the IT for your entire company, or just provide guidance on specific projects. Well, VPLS can help. VPLS can be an additional resource for your IT team, or function as a completely outsourced IT department. They offer help desk, managed security, managed backup, and other managed IT services. VPLS shifts the responsibility of managing IT needs from your business leaders and maybe people who are trying to help but don't have the full IT knowledge, and they hand that over to the VPLS certified professionals. VPLS operates 24-7, 365, providing after-hour support for your team, and they have industry experts well-versed in IT needs in various industries. VPLS can handle needs for both large and growing companies and can help your team with IT needs of all sizes. What this means is that they can grow and scale as your business needs change. VPLS is that one-stop shop. They have their own data centers and technical staff to help you handle everything from data protection to server hosting. 
They do backup and disaster recovery, cloud migration, managed and outsourced help desk and IT support. And if you need help with just specific issues, they do after-hour support, wireless optimization, cabling, cybersecurity audit. If you need any IT help, VPLS is the place to go. So visit www.vpls.com slash go IT. That's vpls.com slash G-O-I-T to see all their offers, including low monthly collocation rates for all new customers. vpls.com slash go IT. Our thanks to VPLS for sponsoring this episode. So that's my first group of picks. Wes, talk about your picks for the iPad. Well, I'll, I'll echo screens. Screens is a good uh, VNC app for the individual. Um, maybe not so much business related like you're using Jump for. Um, but I, I've used uh, screens a lot for getting an iPad uh, to use a Mac uh, remotely and stuff like that. Let's see. I'm going to critique your list. You have like seven note apps. Just saying. I don't know how you. <laughs> they're keep different. Up. They're different. I don't they're different know how things. You do it. <laughs> Notability and good notes is more for like handwritten, like taking notes at a conference or marking up PDFs. And then you know I got other notes for <laughs> writing. You know, just daily show notes or you know reminders. Anyway, we're not we're not critiquing anything here. I'm, I'm just gotta, picking on you. All right. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. you got you got like three note apps in in yours too. I don't want to hear about they're it. They're writing apps. They're not note apps. Oh, excuse. Okay, okay I'll rebrand uh, mine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. I use the notes app by Apple for pretty much everything because I want all of my notes uh in one place. Um. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and then I, I I break out stuff like you know I, I use reminders for lists and such. So it it's kind of a breakup like that too. But I I've used Good Notes and Notability in the past and. uh I found them pretty good, but I think Apple's cannibalized a lot of stuff there, especially like what you were mentioning, signing PDF documents. Like you don't really mm-hmm. need a separate app for that anymore. Uh, my apps, I like uh, Twitterific. I'm using, I use Twitter a lot. I have to uh, deal with a lot of junk on Twitter. So I need something that lets me see a chronological timeline. I use Tweetbot in the past and I, I put my nose in there every now and then, but I always end up back at Twitterific just because I think their syncing engine is just really well done. And I usually like the app icons and stuff that they make for it. And it's also just a really good iPad app. Uh, it's a good, it, it works well either um, side-by-side modes or in uh, slide over uh, whatever you use it as. For writing, uh, Stephen, I use IA Writer. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So this is different from drafts, which I'll mention in a minute. IA Writer has a f- file system structure, uh, which when I was iPad only uh, was great because I could just attach parent folder to iWriter and say, this is everything I'm using for Apple Insider as a directory inside of this, and then branch out from there. And, and you could see this file structure from within the app. And I've managed the um, this thing we call Inside Pages. It's, it's basically like an internal wiki we manage ourselves. It's not like a wiki you can edit, but it's where all of the stuff where if you go to, you know, Apple Insider slash inside slash iPhone, you can read all about all the iPhone stuff. Uh, I manage that stuff and keep all of the base text for that in iWriter and a uh, parent-child structure, just like the website. So I can navigate to all of that uh, from that app. That's It's really good for that kind of stuff, uh, structured writing, things like that. So mm. anyway, drafts, that's uh, where tech starts. That's the tagline. That's right. That's um, I, I love this app. Uh, it is such a great way to just pop open a blank text field to get some information in and move on. Um, I use this a lot for just generating links. Um, I've actually tied drafts to shortcuts on iPad to allow me to, uh, I have a 
a custom button that I can click. If I highlight some text, have a URL on the clipboard and click this button, it converts it into a uh, HTML link uh, using the uh, link inside of the clipboard instead of text expander, Stephen. This is how I did it. Um, mm, I see, I see. Yeah, and yes, it's not universal. This is just in drafts. This is an iPad. You can't do it everywhere, but it's a, it's a really cool function. And I've actually, this brings up the next app, Text Case is a shortcuts feeder kind of... Uh, uh, what you would call like an add-on app for shortcuts. So I can actually take text from drafts, feed it, run a shortcut from drafts using that one of the custom drafts actions to open that text and text case, modify it, which it text case does uppercase, lowercase letters, adds dashes and spaces where you need it. Basically, you can format anything from one thing into another uh, rather than using shortcuts rules, which don't always cover every variable takes some of the complexity out of the shortcut to relying on an external app and then it puts it back into drafts uh, formatted exactly how I want it to be so mm. uh, just a cool way to tie it all together yes it's probably simpler in text expander but this is how you do it on iPad those those are my writing systems I definitely like uh, like I said I love that drafts acts as kind of uh, just a catch-all you can just throw anything at it um, they just added I want to point out that you can give it a audio file or a video file and it will pop out text as uh, in the newest update that just came out yesterday and i, I want to try this this is going to be really useful for stuff like uh transcribing apple's earnings calls and stuff like that so we'll, yeah that's pretty cool yeah uh, so no no more need to pay whatever crazy amount i mean i'm sure it's not perfect but it's uh it's using the same voice to text dictation uh that i'm sure some version of that uh that drafts use and it's always been excellent. Um, and you can also use drafts on the Apple watch to take voice notes and stuff. So just going long because Steven has a hundred apps. I only have like eight. So <laughs> I, I will say the reason that is, is because again, I use, I use mostly Apple apps and these things, I don't really bounce around a lot. I do a lot of core work inside of each app rather than having a hundred apps, I guess, mm-hmm. to do the same thing, Steven, with your eight note apps, but, um, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just, pick, I'm just picking. Yeah, okay. I know, I know. Okay. Um, Buffer, uh, mm. you cannot have a clipboard manager uh, on iPad, but uh, this is the next best thing. If you uh, put this uh, where I keep it in my um, slide over, it makes it's the one good use of slide over that's just perfectly consistent. Um, I have a bunch of clipboard items that I can't even do this really on Mac very easily because their windowing system is just chaos and uh, you. <laughs> It's not the same, I guess. I, I just I would kill for like a slide over like function on Mac without having to just manually create it myself. But um, I can just put a bunch of text snippets in here uh, and grab them. Again, yes, I, I understand text expander exists, but we're limited a little bit on this tablet. So um, I put like the HTML for a table row or a specific URL structure for our price guides or stuff like that. So I can just have it a click away. And because of Universal Clipboard, I have my iPad here next to my Mac. I can just tap that saved thing inside a buffer, which is basically, we've talked about these before. There, It's like a faux clipboard manager, like paste, stuff like that. It's like a file structure yeah. that saves plain text, uh, more or less. And uh, I, mean, I can tap this and paste on the Mac instantly. It works 90% of the time. Sometimes that fails, but uh, I just find that as a really useful um, tool uh, and Buffer is definitely uh, the best one I've tried so far personally. Now is Buffer also the social media management app? So this is a different app? Ah, uh, see, mm-hmm. it's Any Buffer. That's the name of it. Ah, okay. Any Buffer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. That's my bad, guys. Uh, just re- just go back in time and replace every time I said buffer with any buffer. 
Yeah, find and replace for podcast. And I'll just get right on that. Uh, they do that now. No. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Descript. It's close. It's pretty Descript. close. Descript. Uh, this app's been around for a while. The developers been really good at keeping it updated. It is a, you know, you see those um, iPad and iPhone images with the frame around it. Uh, this creates those um, pretty much automatically from a screenshot because it automatically detects the dimensions of the screenshot and knows what device it came from and will give you options for the different colors of frames to add around it and uh spits that out the other side you can get a png output and stuff from that and uh, it's actually quite nice i use that a lot for work especially Mm. anytime i need to generate iphone um, ipad and even apple watch images it comes in handy uh, quite a bit because you just create the png drop it to the whatever photo editing application and go from there that's pretty cool. I will say also there's a shortcut from Federico Vitici. I'll put this in the show notes too, but it basically detects whatever screenshot that you take and will put the frame of an iPhone or iPad around it too. I really like Federico's shortcut. Uh, the problem with that is is you have to keep that up to date yourself yeah. um, versus Pixu's a little, I, I guess again, it's it's more managed by uh, some guy. I don't have to keep up with it. He just does it. And he's very yeah. quick. As soon as Apple puts out the uh, information for the frames he has it in the app and uh there's a lot more image styling tools and stuff if i ever post a screenshot of my home screen to twitter or something i create the image in pixu first because uh, it gives you options for generating a background for the device and stuff too so that's cool but if you want to just go the shortcuts route yeah uh, federico's uh frames shortcuts really good if i'm using my ipad i edit in the affinity suite as an aside on the mac i use uh, pixelmator pro pretty much exclusively but yeah if if i need to do uh design work or creating images or editing my raw photos for my Sony camera. I use affinity photo or affinity designer. Uh, I don't use any Adobe apps. I'm not, I don't really care for any of that nonsense. So I've, I've learned most of my photo editing skills and stuff off these apps and they're really great. And if you, if you're trying to get away from subscription models, uh, this is definitely the way to go. Very powerful apps, especially on iPad. Yeah. They're on the, they're available on the Mac too, but as separate purchases and they have uh, different functionality there as well. Right. Um, wanted to point out carrot weather is still amazing. Um, it's iPad applications really cool. And again, just fully customizable UI top to bottom. We've talked about carrot before they just won a app store awards, uh, for a best Apple watch app. Mm. Yeah, this, you know, this designer is just really awesome and definitely an app to have, even if you have a favorite weather app, just have this one on the side to poke every now and then. Cause it's, it's just fun to look at one more, uh, noir, uh, is a extension for Safari. I just love that. It, it, it works really well, and it seems like he, the developer is constantly keeping it updated. Uh, it turns web page into a dark mode web page by basically inverting it, turning it black uh, or dark gray color, and uh, keeps the images from doing so. And a lot of the content and stuff, he's able to keep from being unusable. Um, it's it's a very intelligent dark mode for Safari, and uh, it also detects if there's already a dark mode and doesn't change anything if there's a built-in dark mode. Mm. So something to look at That's if cool. you want dark mode on your apps. Very cool. Just as a shout out, uh, Minecraft. It's probably the best game on iPad. I out of all the games I've played on iOS, iPad OS, uh, Minecraft's definitely the winner. Uh, just it's just perfectly built for this screen and throw a controller in and you're good to go spent countless hours in that game uh on this guy so <laughs> very cool all right well i'm gonna try and go lightning round here because i still have some recommendations for me and then i want to hit what our listeners sent in for their recommendations as first party apps go like wes was saying some of apple's apps are some of the best 
And so if you have never tried GarageBand on iPad, it is still an incredible app. My boys use it all the time to just make fun tracks and use some of the drum machine stuff. So GarageBand is still great. Keynote on iPad of all of Apple's productivity apps. I love, love Keynote. Even if it's just something where you need to make a slide for whatever that's just 16 by nine, sometimes I'll just make it in Keynote because they're tools for adding shapes and alignment and gradients and all that stuff. I just love Keynote. So two great Apple apps there. For notes, I mentioned it in the Mac apps, but Bear, I use it on all my devices, so iPad as well. And what's nice is on iPad and iPhone, it can actually pull in your text expander snippets so you can use text expander like you do on the Mac, but use it within Bear, the app on iPad and iPhone. So love Bear as a note-taking app. I'm gonna throw one game in there because Wes threw one game and I know Wes loves this game too, but Fantasian, which is the Final Fantasy inspired Apple Arcade game on iPad. Love Fantasian. I have played it a little bit in the past year and it's just a beautiful game. And as a Final Fantasy fan from back in the day, love that game. Do you still play that one? Apple gave that game of the year in the App Store Awards. Uh, I don't know if that's patting themselves on the back. It's an Apple Arcade game. Right. But I just want to point that out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still play it. Um, I haven't finished it. It's its story is incredibly long and uh, it I jump in and out of it every now and then. I've, I've got through the first half. I'm digging through the second half. It's really fun. Definitely play it. So MindNode, if you've never used like a mind mapping app or something where you can kind of put ideas and connect them with lines and spokes, MindNode is pretty cool for something like that, even if it's just brainstorming like projects or I've used it for like org chart design for like a company. So MindNode is pretty cool for that. And then as far as extensions on the iPad, Wes mentioned Noir, but 1Password we've talked about before, their extension for iPad and using it in Safari definitely really much improved, especially since iPadOS 15. So love 1Password. HyperWeb is one we've mentioned before on our extension episode, but it's kind of an ad blocker, disables Google AMP websites all together like cookie blocker. So HyperWeb is great. Pipifier for picture-in-picture. Again, iPadOS is usually pretty good at picture-in-picture, but to kind of force it, Pipifier is a good extension. And one more, I think we mentioned it in our extension episode a few weeks ago, Vidimote, V-I-D-I-M-O-T-E, Vidimote. This is by developer Felix Schwarz. And this basically adds video player controls in the address bar of iPadOS, where if you click the little extension puzzle piece and Vidimote, it'll give you more controls over the video that's playing from scrubbing to forwarding 30 seconds, back 30 seconds, going back to the beginning. You can even see like time elapsed, like just gives you a bunch of controls for playing videos in Safari on iPadOS. So highly recommend Vidimote as well. All right, any any last uh, thoughts before I jump into the listener recommendations? Well, I'll point out, if you want a good app blocker uh, for Safari, I highly recommend uh, OneBlocker X or whatever they call it these days. Just look up OneBlocker. It's a purple cube. Yeah. Uh, that guy's, it's it's insane. I think you can have like 75,000 rules active at once. It goes around Apple's limit. I think their original limit was like 10,000 per Safari extension, like a blocker extension, ad blocker. And instead of using one rule, they have multiple categories that they can, that you can activate and uh, it gets around that limitation. So it's actually really powerful and it's updated all the time. So I definitely recommend that one. All right. Well, we had a bunch of listeners write in. And so I'll run through these. These links will also be in the show notes. Again, might not be an Apple podcast just because of the character limit, but if you want to check it out in Overcast, Pocket Cast, or on appleinsider.com, these will be there. Fernando Silva, he has an awesome YouTube channel, really focusing on iPad creativity and productivity. 
He recommends LumaFusion, which actually Apple announced their apps of the year. Like Wes said, as we're recording, it kind of came out. And Apple said LumaFusion, which is a video editor for iPad OS, actually got iPad app of the year. And if you want to edit video on iPad, LumaFusion is the app to get and try it out. I still hope one day that we'll see Final Cut on iPad OS. I'm still holding out that that will happen sometime. But for now, LumaFusion is the pro tool for iPad for sure. Affinity Photo was recommended by Fernando, which Wes mentioned as well. He uses YouTube TV, which if you want to get some live TV channels and other like cable type features, YouTube live TV is a good one. He recommended Pipifier as well. Microsoft Office Hub app, which is some Microsoft Office thing. Thankfully, I don't have to mess with Office. But Boo. I guess in the Microsoft Office world, that's that. A PS Remote Play for PlayStation, a game called Marvel Strike Force. And an app called Spike, which is like an email productivity thing and notes. It was a very interesting app. I have not tried it yet. But if any listeners out there also use Spike, I'm, I'm curious uh, who uses and what useful uh, tools or what use cases that app is good for. I've seen Spike around, especially like if you search email, it's one of those ones that gets the search ad. It it just it encompasses, it encompasses everything productive into one app, like calendars and notes and reminders. I just, I can't do that. Like Fantastical tries to do that. And I just turn off everything that isn't a calendar. I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much a one tool, one th- one job kind of thing. I like that. But if you want to have it all in one, go for it. I think it looks like a cool app. It's just not for me. Yeah. And I typically don't get integrations with my email. I use again, Apple's stock mail app most of the time. The one integration I do like cross to do an event type stuff is using things by Cultured Code. I use it as my task app and it actually pulls in my calendar events. And the only reason I like that is in the today view in the things app, I can see my tasks below and then the few events that I have. You can choose which calendars appear in this little like area at the top of the things window. And that's helpful just to kind of plan my day to see, okay, I have these events and these are my tasks for today. Where do I want to fit them in? And so I do like that one integration feature for things. These recommendations came from at C Sinars on Twitter. He is still rocking Evernote, which Evernote has been around for a long, long time. I know William was a big user. I know, you know, depending on your use case, Evernote might be a great tool. I know they have like OCR. They have a bunch of features. And so it's still popular amongst a lot of people. So Evernote, and he recommended GoodNotes as well, which was one of my picks. Very cool. Matt Tillotson on Twitter recommended Procreate. And so if you're an artist or you want to draw on your iPad, Procreate is definitely an incredible app. I know lots of people who use it. So great pick there. Procreate's amazing. They just added a feature recently where you can uh, sketch on 3D models. And I've seen people making skateboards and stuff on there. It's it's so cool. Like follow their cool. Twitter. I, you don't even have to be an artist. Just follow Procreate's Twitter and you get b- bombarded with all these just awesome inspirational like pieces of art all the time. It's really great. Yeah, that is very cool. Dark Shot Coffee on Twitter He, like we were talking about before, loves Apple's built-in apps for notes and reminders. So he just used those. And I will say reminders especially has improved greatly in the past couple of years. And so if you have not tried it in a while, I do recommend try out reminders. It's pretty cool. Will Kennard, I hope I'm saying that right, on Twitter, he had a couple recommendations that I actually had not heard of before, or at least one I had not heard of before. He uses Notability, like I mentioned, reminders. He recommended Craft which they actually just updated to version 2.0 as we record. And I think Craft has a great future ahead of it. It is basically an alternative or a product-like notion. But if you want to kind of create a research database or really, I don't know, just good-looking documents or you like being able to link back and forth between notes, 
and maybe you want to create notes and pages where you embed videos and graphics all together. Craft is an incredible tool for that. It really feels like an Apple first application, whereas Notion is really more of a cross platform first. But Craft, awesome app, great recommendation, Will, there. He also recommended an app called Portal. And this is not Facebook's weird camera thing, Portal. This is actually an environment and like ambient sound application. This was the one I had not heard of before. But you can download this app and you basically tell it whether you want music or environment stuff to focus or to escape. And it actually has beautiful visuals and audio. It uses spatial audio if you add that in AirPods Pro, AirPods Max. And actually has great ambient sounds and music and this app. And it's just beautiful visuals as well. So really cool app, especially if you want to focus or get some real heavy work done. Great pick from Will Portal. Highly recommend trying that out. Yeah, I've used Portal before. It's interesting. I feel like it's best paired with uh, stuff like shortcuts. Um, mm-hmm. y- you know, set up a scene like you're going to meditate or clean or something, and and throw Portal on in the background. And yeah, it's it can just create really good background noise uh, where maybe you don't want to listen to a podcast at that moment, and it's better to just have something to let you focus on work or or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, listener on Twitter Holger actually recommended this weather app called Weather Gods. I had not heard of this app before, but it's pretty highly reviewed. And so if you like to try different weather apps on your iPad, Weather Gods, that link will be in the list as well. And finally, listener Bimo Nukusmo, forgive me again with pronunciations, I'm trying my best here, but he had some recommendations, Procreate, which we mentioned, LumaFusion for video editing, Pixelmator and Affinity Photo, we mentioned all those, but he also recommended an app called Vectornator, And these were all apps really focused on creative work, graphic design, illustration. And Vectornator is a really cool app. I had not used it or heard about it before. But again, if you're into that illustration, graphic design world, that might be really helpful for your workflow. Vectornator, again, all those apps and links will be in the show notes. And that is our massive, massive roundup of iPad apps. (laughs) Any last ideas, Wes? It's uh, Stephen's roundup of notes apps and uh wesley's <laughs> Listen, productivity tools there all you go. great all great apps <laughs> a note a note app for every listener that was the goal for this. That, but that's it good selection though thank you yeah it was really good and good on you i mean i feel like we covered so many of the really big ones useful ones if we missed one listeners tweet at wes and myself let us know if there's an app we didn't mention that you love on the ipad or if you have some recommendations for iphone apps i think we did mac On the last episode, we did iPad on this one. I'd like to do iPhone on the next one. So if you have iPhone apps that you love, tweet those at myself or Wes. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Let us know your iPad apps. Yeah, it might surprise you to know that uh, the iPhone apps will be different uh, from the iPad apps. So For sure, because different platforms, different apps. I mean, just by the nature of apps, some are more useful on a phone or on an iPad. So tune in next week for those. Send us those recommendations. If you haven't yet, you can really support the show by giving us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That helps us out. And you can also support the show with $5 a month and get an ad-free, uninterrupted version and early access. You can do that right there in Apple Podcasts. And there's a bunch of you that actually do that. So thank you to all of our paid supporters. And on patreon.com slash Apple Insider, you could do it there as well if you prefer that. Don't forget to tune into HomeKit Insider. Andrew and I are doing a big roundup of all of our favorite HomeKit devices this month. So you want to check out that podcast. You can 
It comes out every Monday, and that link will be in the show notes to that show as well. well Stephen, wait. I, I'm, yeah, not yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm not going to let you end it there because you okay. listeners, you have to go to the HomeKit Insider YouTube page <laughs> and subscribe <laughs> because if we get a 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, yes. Stephen will on video put glitter in his beard, and it's going to be there for the rest of his life. So yeah, definitely yeah. do that, guys. Go subscribe. Give give some Apple Insider love to the HomeKit uh, crew, and uh, yes. let's see this happen. This is going to be fun. <laughs> And we actually have a short URL now. So you can just go to youtube.com slash HomeKit Insider, subscribe, and you can watch Andrew O'Hara and myself talk about HomeKit stuff. And yes, if we reach a thousand subscribers by Christmas Day, I am going to be putting glitter in my beard live on camera. And I'm terrified of this, but it's going to happen. <laughs> so, glitter in the keyboard, glitter in the oh iPad. My. I'm going to have to figure oh. out how to isolate. I need to isolate my face and protect my desk. I don't know. We're going <laughs> to... There's a lot of practical questions about this. So we will see. But all those links will be in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.